Uh, let me just briefly say what a joy it is to be here. Um, it's, a, it's a great privilege and a great blessing. Uh, it's been quite a long time uh, since I've been here, mainly because I've been traveling, but I do bring you greetings from Covenant Presbyterian Church, uh, and uh, I look forward to spending some time with you uh, both here now and then this evening again. Would you turn in your Bibles to uh, Jonah chapter 1, Jonah chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 3. We're going to do something of an introduction to Jonah as well as following the text quite closely. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it. For their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. One of the reasons, well, let me, let me pray for us and then we'll begin. Father, we, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for it uh, as it instructs, it warns, it edifies, it builds up. It is the means through which you speak to us. And so we do pray that you would give us uh, ears to hear and soften hearts, O oh Lord. And may your spirit do his work mightily and powerfully and may the word of God not return unto you void but may it accomplish all the things that you would have it to accomplish. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, One of the reasons, if you're wondering why Jonah, one of the reasons uh, for picking Jonah when I was coming here was this is part of what we would teach on our curriculum, which we work with at the seminary with Mints when we're traveling. So it gives you just a little flavor of the sorts of things that we teach uh, when we're out uh, building up, hopefully, believers in the Lord. But as we look at Jonah, and before we get to the detailed look at the text, there are two things that we need to consider before we dive into the text. The first, of course, is the context. What is the context? If you're looking at a book, of course, you must know the context so that you can put things into their proper perspective. And Jonah, quite obviously, the first point is Jonah is a prophet in Israel. And Jonah, therefore, as a prophet in Israel, it leads you to a question. What is the role and what is the function of Israel in the Old Testament? What is Israel's role and what is Israel's function in the Old Testament? She's chosen She's called, she's elect, she's set apart by God. But what for? What for? And to give you you two easy ways to remember it, uh, she's called to be a blessing. She's called unto blessing, for that is what God does with these people. He calls them unto blessing. And then he calls them also to be a blessing. So they're called unto blessing, but they are called to be a blessing. As she bears witness to the grace and and to the mercy and to the loving kindness and the tender mercies of God in this world. 
And the way she does this, of course, is by living a holy life. By by living a holy life. And the great witness of Israel in the Old Testament is she is called to live a holy life, a glorious life. And as the nations look and see the laws and the statutes that they've been given, as they see the priesthood, as they see the temple, as they see the types and the symbols, so they see the work of God in her. And this should draw the nations to Israel. The great function, if you like, one of the great functions is she's to be a witness, but she's to be a witness by being faithful, by being holy, and so the nations are drawn unto her. They come. They come to her because of her witness. And uh, we see this, for example, in in Matthew uh, chapter 12, where the Lord Jesus talks about the sign of Jonah. If if you're going to look it up, you don't have to, but Matthew chapter 12, 39, 38, 39 and following, it, it talks about the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. What's happening there? The the witness of Solomon in his wisdom and in his grace, in his God-fearingness, in the way that he governed Israel, pointed them to God himself, pointed them to the glory of God. And so she, she comes. She travels to see if these things are true. And, and you can multiply this with, with any number of people from the Old Testament. Uh, Ruth, Hears, sees, comes. Rahab. And and so you can multiply it. So the great function is to be blessed and then to witness as the nations come to her. But here we see something interesting about Jonah. Because Jonah is the only prophet who is not sent directly to Israel, but is sent to to the nations. The prophets in the Old Testament often prophesied to the nations, but but Jonah, of all of them, is the only one sent to the nations as a prophet, as a witness, as a representative of Israel. At the time that the book of Jonah is written, he's the focal point of God's witness to the nations, and he goes out. He's the only one who goes out. And it's just a reminder to Israel, it's a reminder to Israel that she remember that her obligations are not just to be blessed, but to be a blessing. Not just to be blessed, but to be a blessing. It, it challenges them about their attitude. It challenges them about the need for them to think about the salvation of others. It challenges Israel that her uh, that the God's love is not merely for her, but it's for the nations. But of course, then you come to the New Testament, and a switch occurs. From the time of the New Testament, instead of drawing the witness, drawing everybody to Israel, now the church is called to to go. What does our Lord Jesus Christ say? 
All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore. Go. And so we see a switch in the New Testament where there's a great drive to take the witness of God and the love of God and, and, and God's grace to us and to, to go, to go out. And Jonah becomes a sign of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jonah becomes a sign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jonah is the only prophet, actually, which uh, we are told expressly by the Lord Jesus, who I, which, which the Lord Jesus identifies with. Now, all of the prophets in the Old Testament are signs and types pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. All of them are. But the only one who Jesus makes a direct application to is, is Jonah, the sign of the prophet Jonah. Three days and three nights, all right? A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish. So the Son of, Ni- uh, son, so the son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah becomes a type. He becomes a type in his death or his almost death, his burial in the fish, his resurrection unto new life, and his going to the nations. In the same way, our Lord Jesus, he dies for sinners. He comes to Israel. He fulfills the promises to Israel. He is yea and amen of all of the promises that God has given to Israel. He dies. He pays for sin. He is buried. He rises again. And then what? He says to his church, go. Go. In fact, the whole of Jonah's life is one great sign pointing to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if that's the background to the book of Jonah, those two points, that in Jonah we see a slight switch uh, from the nations coming to Israel to Jonah going, and then Jonah is a type, a unique type. But now we see, let's look in more more detail at the actual call of Jonah. The word comes to us in this form. It says, now, the word of the Lord. Now, you know, don't you, if you've read your scriptures, and I know that you all have, uh, the word of the Lord is a, is a prophetic formula, isn't it? The word of the Lord comes to the prophet. The prophet speaks the word of the Lord. And so this word comes to Jonah, and it's the word that he is to deliver to the Ninevites. It reminds us, and we, we need reminding. We, we read, and it was good that the... the the affirmation of faith is about the word today, wasn't it? But we are, we are a word-based religion. We are a word-based religion. God has given us the scriptures and we are to have confidence and we are to have boldness in them. When God works, he works through his word. How did he create the heavens and the earth? He you know, we, we, we think about, and I know there are many engineers here, um, many engineers, and no doubt you do great and mighty things, but you're tinkering with the system. He spoke. 
and the system was put in place. And he upholds it daily by the word of his power. It's a word-based thing, isn't it? And then what about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? The word of God. The word of God. How did God call you? By his word. How does God call the prophet? By his word. How does God call wicked Nineveh? By his word. Have confidence. Have confidence in the word of God. Have confidence in the word of God. Because if we obey that word, there will be blessings. You know, it took a little while in Jonah's case. But eventually he gets around to Nineveh, doesn't he? And he preaches to a wicked city. He preaches to a wicked city. And they hear. And they repent. And it changes lives and hearts. And they humble themselves before the true and living God. Because of the word. The word of God. Now we're told... The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, that word Lord, Boris, should be capitals all the way through in your translation, which refers to Yahweh, the name Yahweh, which is one of the great covenantal names of God. It's first used back in the burning bush. I am that I am. And what's happening? What's the context of that? Well, God is finally fulfilling his promises to Abraham. All those years before, he's finally fulfilling his covenantal promises to Abraham. I am that I am is here. He knows he will deliver. He will do these things. And it stresses his faithfulness to fulfill all of his promises. The word's reminding us it's placed here for a reason. The word's reminding us that God is a covenantal Lord. He's covenantal over Israel. He's covenantal over his own prophet. Uh, He's covenantal over all of the nations, Nineveh. And it also reminds us that when God's own prophet breaks the covenant, because that's really a large part of the book of Jonah, that he is a faithful, covenantal God who does not forsake Jonah. He doesn't forsake Jonah. Rather, he pursues Jonah. He pursues after him. He chases after him. And he will not let him go. And this is one of the great themes. God's covenantal pursuit of Jonah, his prophet, when his prophet runs off in disobedience. What a great and gracious thing it is that we are Uh, We have a covenant God. That God himself will chase after his prophet to teach, to instruct, to correct, to make him useful and fruitful. And of course, if you're in covenant with God, if we are in covenant with God, it also reminds us that we need to obey, doesn't it? One of the great themes of Jonah is, is obedience, or lack of it in Jonah's case. Obedience. So there we have the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Jonah just means dove or son of truth. 
What's the command? Arise. Notice the go up, arise. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So here God is commissioning Jonah for a new work. Uh, He is to leave Israel. He is to go to Nineveh. And he is to continue to witness to, of God's mercy to the nations. Uh, Nineveh, just to give you a reference point, if you want to know, it's, it's in Mosul. Right? You're, watching the, you're watching the news, presumably. Okay, you know where ISIS is. You know, that, you, know, you know what's going on out there. It's in the same sort of area. It's in Mosul. Large city, a prosperous place in Jonah's time. Filled with palaces, filled with wealth. It's not yet the capital of Assyria. It will become the capital of Assyria. So all of a sudden, this is something new for Jonah. It's a new ministry. Jonah has already been a prophet in Israel. You can look that up in 2 Kings, and you'll see that he's already had a ministry in Israel. This is not his first time. And he, God commissions him and gives him this task. This, this, really, it's a huge task. He, he's to go to a place which is a long way away. Uh, he's got to go to a nation that does not know God. And he's got to go to a very wicked city. A very wicked city. Uh, we believe in total depravity, right? So we believe in wickedness, but then when God particularly tells you somewhere is wicked, then it really is wicked. And what does it say here? For their wickedness has come up before me. Now that phrase, that turn of phrase, their wickedness has come up before me, comes up in a couple of other places in Scripture. One, it describes the wickedness of the world before the flood in the time of Noah. The other place where it comes up, or a similar phrase comes up, is when it deals with Sodom in Genesis chapter 18. Uh, Genesis 18, 20 to 21, I'll read this. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave... I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Nineveh joins the ranks of the sinful nations before the flood and Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is where Jonah is sent. I said this morning, you know, I travel around and I give missionary talks from time to time. Um, and it's, uh, I, I wish we did something slightly different sometimes than what we do because uh, we basically teach. And you can only have so many pictures of people standing up and, and teaching and so many pictures of doing other things. It's, it's easier when you've got a big building to put up or you've got, you know, a hospital and you can show sick people. Or you've got uh, an orphanage. It's a lot easier in some respects to do that because you've got great pictures to go with it. What would the pictures have been like of Nineveh if he had shown those pictures? Because, you know, it's a lot harder sometimes to say, well, I want to raise money to go and preach the gospel in Mosul to Islamic people who are going to kill people and you know what they're like. It's a lot harder to do, isn't it? But you see, God does not send his prophet to the righteous, he sends him to the wicked. 
sends people to the wicked, to those that we would find abhorrent. But that's whom Jonah's sent to. He's sent to the wicked. You know, if you looked at their lifestyle, if you looked at their outlook, their methods, the evil, the murder in their hearts, you think, why would God send them to these people? Their wickedness has come up before me, and therefore I am sending my prophet, because I am a God of grace and a God of mercy. What a reminder to us, too. It's a wicked prophet who goes to preach the gospel to wicked people. It is you and I who are sinners who are called to say, this is the gospel of God's grace to other wicked people that surround us. You know, you look at the book of Jonah. Jonah is not the best of men, certainly not in this. He doesn't come out of this very well in the book of Jonah, does he? There are large issues that Jonah has to deal with. And God does deal with them because he's faithful and merciful and kind. But that word comes to him because God has the right to speak to his prophet. He has the right to speak to Nineveh. He has the right to command what he pleases. And men owe him obedience. And he is gracious and kind. So the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. And since he's one of the great and the good, he's a prophet in Israel, he jumps up. And off he goes, right? But. Look at the next word there. But Jonah. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And it keeps going, doesn't it? Tarshish again. Tarshish. Three times. God is driving home a very simple point. Tarshish is not Nineveh. Jonah is not going where he's supposed to. Arise to go. Instead, he arises to flee. And there's a pattern that starts to develop if you look very carefully at those verses. Instead of rise up and go, Jonah starts to go down. See the first going down in your verses there? He runs down, doesn't he? To the port. And then he carries on and he's down. Later on you'll find him down in the ship. And then he's down in the bottom of the ship. And you know what happens after that? He goes further down, doesn't he? And even further down because he can't control his sin. He can't control his actions. He thinks he can. We're going to come back to that. He thinks he can, but he doesn't. We don't know what's in Jonah's heart. We don't know what's in anybody's heart to some degree, but we can see the fruit. We look at the fruit, don't we? A good tree brings good fruit. Bad tree brings bad fruit. And here we see something is terribly wrong with Jonah, a spiritually blessed man, one given great privileges, one called to do great things, and instead of going to Nineveh, he goes to Tarshish. Now, just to give you another orientation point, uh, where is Tarshish? Well, um, I travel a lot for the work of the, 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 the seminary, uh, and one of the places that I travel to is southern Spain. And right at the bottom of southern Spain is a place called Jerez. You can look it up on a map. 
And in Jerez, or just south of Jerez, literally just south of Jerez, is an old Roman town, which actually before that was an old Phoenician town. And it's Tokshish. Now, can you think of anything further away from Israel that he could have imagined at that time? This is the furthest west, if you like. This is the, well, the furthest out west that he could possibly go in the known world at that time, right up to that border. And it gives you an idea again. It's a place that he hopes and he trusts is as far away from God as possible. Let me read to you from Isaiah, because Tarshish is actually mentioned a few times in Scripture. It says this, uh, Isaiah 66, 19, And I will set a sign amongst them, and I will send those that escaped of them unto the nations, to Tarshish, to Pul, to Lud, that draw the bow to Tubal and to Javan, to the isles afar off, that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory, And then it goes on because it's the gospel and they shall declare my glory amongst the Gentiles. But the the, the idea here in Isaiah is it's a place far away. Those who have not heard of God's name nor seen his glory. That is where Jonah wants to go. He's determined to flee. He pays for the passage. He gets on the boat. And, you know, actions, actions are seen. As I said, we don't know the heart. We don't know the heart, but but we see the actions. I mentioned this, and it was mentioned in Sunday school, actually, because I was sitting in on Sunday school. But he pays, doesn't he? he? He pays to go out of his own pocket. He's paying money so that he can run away from God. Sin costs money, brethren. All right? Think about it. What do you spend your money on sometimes? I know a lot of people who spend an awful lot of money on sin. What do you spend your money on? Here's what Jonah spent his money on, getting as far away from God as possible. It's a great indication of our hearts, isn't it? It's a great indication of our hearts. And what does the gospel say to us? Isaiah 55 verse 2, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your wages for that that does not satisfy? How how often have we done that? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Oh, there are great riches here, aren't there? Jonah's spending his money. He's running into disobedience. He's running into sin. And God says, why do you spend your money for what is not bread and your wages for that that does not satisfy? What an encouragement to us to come to the living God, not to put our hope and our trust in money and riches, even worse, not to use our money and riches to pursue evil things or folly at best. But come, come to the Lord Jesus. Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. So Jonah is on his way. He's paid his fare. He's used his Amex card. He's on the boat. He's trying to get out. What do we see that Jonah loses here? What do we see that Jonah loses here? The 
presence. The presence of the Lord. See how it's repeated in the text? God wants you to particularly see this. The presence of the Lord. By going to Tarshish, Jonah is not just disobedient. He loses God's presence. He loses the presence of the Lord. Ah, you're all good theologians. You're all Presbyterians, right? Or some of you are Presbyterians. Can you escape from the presence of the Lord? Can you go to somewhere on this earth where you are fleeing and away from God's presence? Well, yes and no, right? The answer to all good, all good questions is yes and no, okay? So yes or no. No, you can't. God is omnipresent. God is everywhere. Psalm 139, doesn't it? And by the way, Jonah would have known this psalm. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, by the way, that's relevant to Jonah, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me, which is also relevant to Jonah. We're going to see this. Jonah, as I said, would have known the psalm. So what does it mean? What does it mean, the presence of the Lord? Well, if you look in other places in Scripture, the presence of the Lord is a place of service and a place of blessing. It's a place of service and it's a place of blessing. You you read back in Genesis chapter 4 about Cain, don't you? 4.16, Genesis 4.16. Cain, what does Cain do? He leaves and he goes out from the Lord's presence. Cain, the rebel, the fugitive, no longer in the service of God, no longer enjoying God's favor, and he departs, and he departs. <laughs> what an indictment, isn't it? Who do you want to be compared to in Scripture? If you had a choice, who would you like to be compared to in Scripture? Well, right now, God is drawing a parallel between Jonah and Cain. What a terrible indictment. That's how Christians can be. This is how we can be if we are not careful. He loses the favor, the service, and the blessing. You see, Jonah's disobedience is is really the sin of rebellion, isn't it? He's rebelling. He knows. He knows. It's not that the task is too mighty. It's not that he doesn't understand. He knows. And this is deliberate action on Jonah's heart. This is planned sin. This is sin with a high hand, to use Leviticus terms. For rebellion is as a sin of divination. And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, it says to Saul, Samuel says to Saul, he has rejected you from being king. It's the same thing. Jonah is in full rebellion. And he's going to suffer the consequences of that rebellion. Because there is a relationship between our obedience and the blessing 
and the favor of God. The blessing and the favor of God. And very quickly, we're going to see that as a fruit of Jonah's disobedience, very, very quickly, we see how he spirals down, doesn't he? And he spirals down, and he goes further and further away. You see, sin, separation, and death are linked in Scripture. Sin, separation, and death are linked in Scripture. When we sin, we are separated from God's grace and his favor, and it leads to death. That's the warning that Scripture brings to us. And that's the pattern we see in Jonah. He he starts with that small or that first sin, no, I will not. And then he goes down and then he deliberately buys the boat ticket. And then he gets on the boat and off he goes on the boat. And like all of us, we think we can control it for a while. We think, well, I, I don't have to do this particular thing. I don't have to be obedient in this particular case. I can just step over here. You know, John Bunyan, here's the path, and I'll just step over here. I can, I can still see the path. Pilgrim's Progress, right? Then what happens? The path goes off, and all of a sudden I'm here, and then I'm here, and, and then I can't see the path anymore. Well, in Jonah's case, he's running from the presence of the Lord. He's running from the favor of the Lord, and very quickly he's in a storm as God throws the storm at the boat. And then very quickly, he's cast overboard and he's drowning. And then very quickly, he's in the bottom of the ocean. You'll notice I didn't say he's in the whale, because the whale's actually the deliverance, right? Don't think that the whale is the punishment. The whale is the deliverance, or the large fish. Sorry, let me be more accurate. Is the deliverance. You see, Jonah... Jonah feels like he can control things, but very quickly things spiral out of control. Don't think I can control the sin. Don't think I can just do this. It will spiral out of control. But at the same time, that idea of separation and sin, it it, it can be fixed. This is the message of the gospel. That Christ himself is separated for a moment. He bears separation in the darkness on the cross. He bears separation when he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? That you might not be separated. That's the gospel message. He has borne the separation in his grace, in his favor. He has freely chosen For each one of you who are his, he has chosen to bear the separation that you need never be separated from your God. That's that's the gospel. And we see that because of that covenant, because he is faithful, because he has procured everything under the covenant for, for salvation, he pursues after Jonah. And he will not let his prophet go. You know, it's a a glorious thing, isn't it? We're not just saved and then we're in some sort of neutral position. And it's up to you then to keep yourself and keep the ship going. But God's grace is, is bringing salvation and then he bears with you every moment of every day, keeping you moment by moment, moment by moment. 
bears with us, and His covenant is with us, and the work that He has begun, He will complete until the day of Christ Jesus. And the wonderful thing about that gospel message is we will stand because it says in Scriptures, He will see the travail of His soul and He will be satisfied. Talking of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the Father gives me will come to me. And those who come to me, I will not cast out. And one of the great themes of Jonah is God's pursuit, isn't it? Uh, there are numerous themes. Uh, there's the theme of chastening for disobedience. You know, there's a difference, isn't there, between chastening and judgment. Those who are His, God will chasten. And who is without chastening? He is not a son. God, God chastens us, and he, and he does, and it's gracious, and it's kind, by the way. Um, let, me, let me just prove to you very simply from Jonah, which, uh, you know, it's a very serious book at one level, isn't it? But why did God call Jonah to do this? Why did God chasten him? Just because he likes to beat up on Jonah? Well, God has a gracious purpose for Jonah, doesn't he? Go and preach the gospel to the Ninevites. There's many things happening here. And one of the things that is happening here is that God has a gracious, fruitful, profitable work for Jonah to do. And he's going to work on Jonah until Jonah is ready to do that work. And I can say that for myself, and I can say that for yourselves. Is, is that not the way? If we're suffering terrible chastening, if there's great difficulty, and who, who, who does not have some of that? It's not because God is, is hard or harsh. It's because... God is gracious and he has a work for us and there is an aim, there is an end of fruitfulness and usefulness and profitableness. One of the great themes then is is God's persevering. His covenantal faithfulness. Let Let me remind you from the Westminster Confession. Let me remind you about justification and yet chastening. Let me let me remind you. God does continue to forgive the sins that those who are justified. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you trust in Him, you are justified. And then it says, although they can never fall from the state of justification, yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of His countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. Justified, chastened, but there is repentance and restoration. Uh, One of the Puritans used to say, don't sin because repentance, uh, repentance is too hard. Now there are many reasons not to sin. He's just picking up on one thing. It is, isn't it? It's a hard thing when when God chastens us. And and I would that I would learn that a little quicker. So God is... Jonah is in covenant with God. God is in covenant with Jonah. Jonah is, is a son, one of the children of Israel, in covenant with God. 
And God, in great grace in the book of Jonah, he does not abandon Jonah. He pursues him and brings him back. He rebukes him and corrects him that he might be useful and fruitful and profitable. And he will continue that work until the end. You know, this is um, one of the reasons why Jonah's running, in a sense, is, is so interesting. Because Jonah had had a long and fruitful ministry already in Israel. As I said, this is not the first time. I don't have the time to read it. But if you look at 2 Kings 23 to 25, uh, there we're told that Jonah has already had a long ministry. And all of a sudden now God calls him to this new work. And what's happened? Well, in this new work, God has exposed something. In this new work where now God doesn't call him to Israel, but calls him to the nations, God has exposed something in his heart. God doesn't do everything all at once mercifully in us, does he? Slowly he works in us and he changes us. And slowly over a period of time he reveals new things to us. And slowly, there may be things in our lives, I don't know whether Jonah even knew that he had certain issues that he had to deal with. But in the right time, and in the right place, and God's faithfulness, he reveals these things to Jonah. But he will not let him go. Let me just end by saying, why did Jonah flee? Well... It wasn't because he misunderstood God's calling. Sometimes we can misunderstand God's calling in some respects. It wasn't because he was young and inexperienced. We know that. It wasn't because he didn't understand the power of God. Look at his confession in, uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 9. He clearly understands the power of God. It's not because he's afraid. But it seems to be that Jonah is concerned that the blessings and the riches that are Israel, and he loves his nation, that those riches and blessings are being taken and given to others. And that Israel might miss out on the blessings that have now been given to another nation. Because he tells us in Jonah 4 verse 2, he said, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to fly to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and resenting from disaster. He knows, although he's got a message of judgment that he has to speak, as long as God is speaking to you, by the way, there is still hope. All right? As long as God is speaking to you, there is still hope. And he knows that God is speaking to the Ninevites, and the words are are vicious, and the words are full of judgment, and the words are full of threat. And yet he knows underneath, I know that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you feel that the hand of God is against you. Maybe you feel that the words of God against you are just those words of judgment, without hope. You know what it says? Better a live dog than a dead lion, right? If God is still speaking to us, remember, remember the words for Jonah. And Jonah does not want to preach this gospel to others because he wants it for Israel. Just compare this with Paul in the New Testament. You know, Paul, Paul faced a similar challenge. He said, I love my nation. 
I love my nation, says Paul. I wish I could be accursed for my nation. But God sends him to the Gentiles. And Paul goes. And if you read, as you're going through the book of Acts, you will see that Paul never has a successful ministry within Israel. Even though he loves his nation, because he's called to go to the Gentiles. And whenever he goes, he goes to the Jew first, doesn't he? And then to the Gentiles, but he's still called to go. Jonah wants to hold the grace of God. Jonah wants to keep the grace of God. Freely you've received, therefore I'm not going to give it, is Jonah's mantra. Instead of freely we have received, graciously we have received. We've been called to be blessed, brethren. And blessings and riches, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those that love him. And we have been called to be a blessing. To be a blessing to others. Let's join together as we sing uh, There is a Redeemer from the songbook. <laughs>